0: It's August 23rd, 2021, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on the show, Walmart's Q2 earnings highlight continued growth of digital and e-commerce. Target shows leverage in its model and its own Q2 earnings call, including faster growth in Walmart. What's happening at Instacart? Something special or do they need help? Finally, a new segment on the show, the Investor Minute. This spot highlights all the news in venture capital, acquisitions, private equity, and IPOs in the North American e-commerce universe. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, is the Wish.com marketplace in a death spiral? Wish.com, the Chinese goods deals oriented marketplace, released earnings recently and was not good. Reports reveal a grim future for the company, which to me always seemed like one big scam waiting to happen. The company is dismayed by the fact that they invested in logistics, but then retention rates didn't improve. This caused them to miss revenues. Then they cut digital marketing spend, which reduced their future earnings guidance. This tanked their stock. This is the textbook definition of a death spiral and make the site sound more like a pump and dump scheme than a legitimate business. I'm not a financial analyst, but from a strategic point of view, you essentially admitted a number of bad things all at the same time. One, you don't understand your user base and what they value. Two, you may not understand what better means in terms of logistics for the average user. Three, you show no signs of improving the actual quality of the products you're selling. While you will always hear me talk about the importance of logistics and operations, it can't come before the quality of your products itself. Apparently, getting jumped faster doesn't make you want more of it. The company has literally become a better internet meme than an e-commerce marketplace. Our next story, Walmart's earnings highlight the continued growth of digital commerce. Walmart released Q2 earnings this week, with e-commerce growing 6% year-over-year and putting on a doubling pace in two years. They are now up to $75 billion in e-commerce sales. Here are a few highlights from the call. One, Walmart Connect, their advertising platform, grew 95% year-over-year, which is an important high-margin business component for them going forward. The number of active advertisers on the platform was up 170% year-over-year as well. To be clear, Walmart isn't doing anything unique here. They were just following the playbook of Amazon's advertising business, which is creeping up on a $35 to $40 billion run rate from my estimate. Seems like a good idea. Two, Walmart's grocery business appeared to gain share with a 6% year-over-year growth and a reference to a recent Nielsen report about market share gains. The company mentioned that the bulk of this growth was due to keeping products in stock better and reducing clutter and improving merchandising in stores. In this competitive market, not losing share is a winning formula for Walmart as they are already the leader. If they are taking share, I'd be interested to know where it's coming from. Perhaps Kroger. Three, one of the benefits Walmart has is it can use International as an incubator. I thought about this idea when I saw the company introduce the Walmart Pass in Mexico. Walmart Pass is an all-you-can-eat free shipping subscription, but the products have to be shipped from stores. This immediately made me jump to Target who has famously invested in its store network to the tune of handling 95% of the firm's e-commerce shipments. Shipments coming from stores are significantly cheaper, something like 30 to 60% cheaper depending on if it's shipped to home or drive up, than shipping them from a central facility because the products are already closer to the consumer. Seems like a good leader to follow. Looking back six years ago, Walmart famously paid $3.3 billion for Jet.com in what seems like a small number in retrospect. After years of failed experiments, it seems like Walmart may have found its footing, namely defending grocery and following Amazon's playbook. With regards to grocery, this is one area where I think they can actually innovate because they are number one already and have assets few companies have, digital technology chops and massive stores. With regards to following Amazon's playbook, this refers to expanding advertising opportunities on their website through their Walmart Connect retail media platform, expanding its marketplace and offering new fulfillment services. A final word on Walmart, Walmart's CEO mentioned they don't care so much about what they invest in so much as how they do things, in particular, saying they value speed in their execution. To me, that means Walmart may be leaning more toward the fast follower model, like what Burger King is to McDonald's, than a true innovator's model, which is likely much more capital friendly than a lot of the failed experiments that Amazon model requires. Our next story. Target's earnings highlight the continued leverage in its model, including faster growth in Walmart. The day after Walmart reported earnings, Target reported as well, and it was a case study in contrast. What you hear from Walmart is growth in its marketplace and advertising. What you hear from Target is growth in stores and continued fulfillment operating leverage. Let's jump into it. First, the statistics. Sales grew 8.9% and digital sales grew 10% year-over-year in Q2 on top of 195% growth the previous Q2. Same-day digital services, in other words, buy online, pick up in store, curbside, and the ship home delivery business grew an astonishing 55% on top of 270% growth the previous year. Incredible. More than 95% of Target's 2Q digital sales were fulfilled by its stores, which is consistent with the past couple of years. Second, the company continues to invest in its store network. They are on track to open an additional 30 new small format stores this year. These are little fulfillment centers for the company, and they have opened about 19 of them so far this year. Additionally, there are two new sortation centers on the near-term horizon. These centers sit in between a group of nearby stores and the customer's homes in a dense market to facilitate same-day efficiency. This is based on the technology that they acquired from Grand Junction in 2017. This is a good sign for the company as it means that some of their store efficiency improvements are starting to become baked in, and they are moving further down the value chain closer to the consumer. Another super interesting note is that Target Circle, which is their membership and loyalty program, has grown to over 100 million members. Compared to Amazon's 150 million Prime members in the US, this is great performance. I wasn't aware their program was so large, which makes me wonder, what the heck is Walmart doing with Walmart Plus? In the Q1 2021 earnings call last quarter, they said it was not a focus. Really? The bottom line here is Target continues to operate with efficiency. One question I get a lot is why isn't Target investing more in its Target Plus marketplace? Unlike Walmart, which is playing follow the leader, Target likely doesn't see it as a differentiated to dropship orders slowly to consumers. Unless it can figure out how to plug its marketplace partners into drive up or same day, I expect it to be slow going here. It just doesn't fit their model as well as Walmart. And our last story, what's happening in Instacart? Something special or do they need help? A new report from Edison Trends is out that referenced in the Indiana Gazette. It reports that in Instacart is the undisputed owner of the grocery collecting and delivery business with 67% market share, Amazon having 22%, Uber Eats and DoorDash having 1% each. Unfortunately, I didn't see the full report, which surely contains Walmart, Albertsons, Kroger, and somewhere on these numbers. I can't imagine these three players only have 9% of the remaining market share. Perhaps they are excluded because they're a pure retailer? Then what is Amazon? Seems like an issue. So that's the good news for Instacart. Here's the flip side and something I've touched on before. Both the CEO and the president of Instacart recently departed their operational roles at the company in the last month. Both were replaced by high-ranking Facebook executives in a nod to advertising and the importance of building an engaging mobile app experience. In another story, there were reports that Instacart and DoorDash were in discussions about a merger between the two businesses. If you look at Instacart, which is likely not likely to penetrate restaurants soon, and DoorDash, which is not likely to penetrate grocery and advertising, this is perhaps a good idea. A few points on this. Taken separately, you may not think something is amiss here. However, I like to connect the dots. First, if you're the CEO and president of Instacart, why would you depart before an IPO? The only answer is that investors were unhappy with your behavior. You don't depart for the good of the world. Second, hello, Instacart is for sale. Why the heck is no one talking about this? I expect as part of their IPO process, the board is considering all strategic options like acquisition and merger opportunities. In addition to, you know, replacing the CEO and president in rapid succession. This leads me to my final point. Now, even though the rumor is that the discussions fell apart due to antitrust concerns, I have to wonder, is there causality here? Now, the following is all speculation on my part. Apoorv Meta is the founder of Instacart and founders don't like to give up their babies, which Instacart is the company he built. If he slow-played or sabotaged a DoorDash deal in some way, it is totally possible the board didn't take too kindly to that development and wanted to nip that in the bud before the rest of their strategic options process was completed, and they had to move quickly because they want the IPO soon if it doesn't work out. The timing of his departure at CEO and the surprise news of a failed DoorDash merger are way too close for my comfort. Would this put Fiji Simo, the new CEO, in the role of finding a new buyer through her Silicon Valley connections? Now it's time for a new segment on the show, the Investor Minute. E-commerce platform Shopistry raised $2 million to build a modular cloud-based e-commerce platform. Kind of feels they want to recreate Shopify, but make their partner network a little more open. Ad tech provider Maloco raised $150 million to help launch its own retail media platform. This is on the back of other retail media news recently with the acquisition of Citrus Ad by Publicis, which I'm sure helped them win that lucrative Walmart advertising contract. Xentral, with an X and German-based ERP platform for small and medium businesses, raised a $75 million Series B to help them tackle the e-commerce market. ERP in this segment is so tricky, but I feel it's a gap that QuickBooks still is not filling for people, and many are not a fit for NetSuite, which is too big and expensive. Commentsold, which has turned a business selling from social media comments into a live streaming platform, just received an unspecified investment from Premiere, which likely amounts to taking over the venture. This live streaming e-commerce space, buying something based on a live video feed, which is popular in China, is still nascent in the US. And that's it for this week, till next time. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.